Welcome to the 30th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of our podcast, we will discuss the NCAA Men's Basketball Final Four and talk a little baseball. Let's jump right in with a look at the NCAA Men's Basketball Final Four, which kicks off Saturday with number two seeded Houston versus number one seeded Baylor, and then number 11 seeded UCLA takes on number one seeded Gonzaga for the right to play Monday night for the national championship. Patrick, let's discuss your thoughts on the matchups and your predictions, starting with that Houston-Baylor matchup. Uh, yeah, there's no real uh, major, major, major advantage between these two teams size-wise. Uh, both teams, uh, Houston's tallest player is 6'8", that they have in their rotation, and Baylor's tallest player is uh, 6'10". They uh, rotate their two centers, or I guess you could call them power forwards, whatever you want to call it. It's college kind of the five. They rotate their two fives in. Uh, one of them six 6'8", one of them is 6'10". So again, no real size advantage for either team in the height category for the uh, the forwards. However, I, I would say that there is an interesting matchup with the guards from Houston and Baylor. Uh, Baylor's starting guards, Davion Mitchell, Macy Oteague, and Jared Butler are 6'2", 6'3", and 6'4", respectively, whereas Houston starts three guards, or sorry, starts three guards. One of them is 6'1", and then the other two, uh, J. John Giroux and... Quentin Grimes are both 6'5". So there's kind of a tiny little height difference there. But look, I'm just trying to look for advantages for Houston because I think that Baylor just plays better as a team. They're much more experienced, uh, definitely on the big stage. Uh, I, I don't see a way that Houston really wins this game. I think it will be close. But kind of like I said last week with the Baylor-Arkansas matchup, I think there's no way that one team loses it, although I think it will be close. Um... But I guess the other thing is, if I want to go back to that height thing again, Baylor has a 6'9 guard, Matthew Meyer, and that is the same height as Houston's tallest person on their entire roster. Who comes so, off the bench, right? Yes, who comes off the bench. Uh, so that's a little bit of a problem that Houston has to guard. Um, don't know quite how they're going to do it. I think they just put one of the 6'5 guards on him. I mean, he... He does, Matthew Meyer typically doesn't come into the game like Kevin Durant and just start shooting over people smaller than him. He typically still only takes open shots, but he they might put him on more driving plays, uh, set up plays for him more if there's a if there's an advantage there, and I think they have one. So frankly, I looked for the height advantage for Houston. It's not really there enough, and Baylor has uh, just enough in a little bit of a different department off the bench to counter that. So I think this is a Baylor win. I, uh, I tend to agree with you. I think uh, in, in my bracket that I was picking with my head instead of my heart, um, I had Baylor uh, in the finals. Um, we'll talk about the next game, but um, I agree with you in that regard. So let's move on and talk about the next matchup. So in that second matchup, we have the very surprising UCLA Bruins, who uh, I don't think many people picked to be in the actually first weekend of the tournament, let alone the final weekend of the tournament, against the team that everybody predicted to be in the final weekend of the tournament, uh, and most people predicted to win it all Gonzaga. So let's, what are your thoughts on this rather uh, unpredictable matchup? Uh, I mean, Unexpected look, matchup. There, are, there are, you could say that UCLA could take advantage of the fact that they have three 6'6 guards that they like to play. But there's this guy, Drew Timmy. He just went against the number two overall draft prospect and made Evan Mobley look like, look like he does not belong in the NBA defensively because Timmy is not supposed to make it to the league, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and he just unleashed a flurry of post moves and post-shot celebrations 
all over USC on the, on the, on the way to Gonzaga's route of USC. Uh, look, Gonzaga's too talented to be beaten by almost anybody, and I think there's only one team in this Final Four still left that was in that group, a very, 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 very small, limited group of teams that wa- that were talented enough in the beginning to beat them. And uh, let's just say it's not UCLA that I would put in that group. I think the one team that has a chance, though I still wouldn't pick them over them, but has a chance, is Baylor. Um, I think going into the tournament, I would say Michigan and Illinois are the only other teams that would have had a chance. Yes, all the one seeds. Wow, such a surprise. Uh, and maybe if Ohio State had shooters get hot, but as you saw, once they get cold, they lose to 15 seeds. So that didn't work out for them. I mean, uh, the, some of the other two seeds. Houston's great, but um, maybe Alabama on a very hot shooting night could have beaten Gonzaga, and they sometimes do just start bombing in threes, and they take 30 of them. But look, I, I think this. I think it's all going to be Gonzaga in this game. UCLA could try to have Johnny Juzang, Jaime Jaquez, or Jules Bernard post up on Jalen Suggs, but I, I, I don't, I mean, Suggs is 6'4", Nemhard is 6'5", Iie is 6'5", so Gonzaga's right there with them in size, and if you and if they're not as tall, I guarantee you if Suggs is in the top five of the draft like he is for most people, he definitely has a longer wingspan than his height, because that is one of the things that the NBA loves. Um, look. They're long, they're tall, they're just as talented, if not more. They shoot better, they defend better, they have better post players. There is no advantage that UCLA has in this game, other than the opponents not being able to shoot free throws against them. But I think that Gonzaga might be immune to that because they are just that sentient of a team. (laughs) Yeah, um, look, UCLA is going to try to muck it up, slow it down, keep it low scoring. Hope fouls don't call get called, and hope that when they do, as you said, that their you know free throw magic juju that they've had over other teams, who all of a sudden they play UCLA plays the best free throw defense in the country. Uh, if you just look at their <laughs> stats, especially the last two games, um, I know I said it before. Um, it took a took a really really strange outcome, and Michigan missing four shots in the final eleven seconds, and no baskets in the final five minutes and thirty seconds for uh, UCLA to beat Michigan by two. They're not going to do that to Gonzaga. Um, I don't see any chance of Gonzaga losing this game. I also think, like you said, the pace argument. Normally, um, it happened in the Loyola Chicago against Illinois game. The slower team makes the fast-paced team play to their pace. But uh, Gonzaga doesn't play off of fast breaks. I do, I, they just play fast. They just rush into their sets. They don't let you get set on defense. Even if it's not even a fast break, it could be off a made shot. They just... Suggs will just push the ball up the court as fast as possible, and regardless of if he of if he's able to get to the basket or get an open shooter or not, it at least sets things in motion to the point where you can't really guard what's happening in the rest of the play. And then you've got Kispert; just you're going to lose Kispert at some point in that possession. He's going to knock down a three, or you're going to lose Timmy in the post. Timmy's going to make Timmy's going to get a little dunk, a little layup, uh, do his little mustache celebration, and you're going to lose the game. Uh, <laughs> Gonzaga can execute in the half court. Yeah, Gonzaga really can execute in the half court. They don't need transition buckets to help them whatsoever. And they, again, they play at a very fast pace in the half court, not just in transition. Although they definitely love to get out in transition. And frankly, their defense is locked in right now. If anybody saw the way the USC game against Gonzaga started, uh, Drew Timmy picked the pocket of two point guards. So, and if if you don't know, Drew Timmy is a six foot ten center who's not supposed to be stealing from point guards, not supposed to be guarding point guards in the first place. 
their defense is just on fire right now. And if they and this is the one worry that everybody had about Gonzaga is if their defense is good enough to match up to teams like Baylor, who play really, really tough defense, although metrics would suggest that Gonzaga's is way better, um, or Michigan or Illinois. And Gonzaga's really answered the call, and they are just playing ridiculous defense. And I think I think we're going to see also Gonzaga and Baylor play each other in the championship game. So what happens there? Does does Baylor finish the magical undefeated season? What I mean, sorry, Gonzaga. What what do you think happens in that game? I think if you look at it, I think I I was discussing you uh, this with you off the podcast. This is not going to go down as the most talented undefeated team of all time. I mean, their 2015 Kentucky had nine NBA players on their team, or at least guys who got drafted, and a few uh, notable all-stars like Devin Booker, Carl uh, Anthony Towns. You're not going to match that team's talent anytime, frankly, but I think the way this team executes and the way this team plays, by the way, this team only plays a seven-man rotation, so they can't have nine NBA guys on their team because they don't even play nine guys. Um this team just executes too well. I don't. I, I think Baylor is probably the team that would have made it closest, and we've been saying this for, from the beginning of the year. Yeah. Uh, I think this will be if it happens. I think people will watch it. It will be a great game. It will be close. It might get into the nineties for both teams scoring wise, but I do think that Gonzaga, no matter what, will find answers to things that Baylor can do. And I think barring, and the issue for me is that Baylor has been one of the best percentage three-point shooting teams all season, and the tournament they've gone kind of cold, which is why I think there is a chance that Houston could even beat them. Because, uh, you know, Houston's still a two-seed. It's not like UCLA where they're just overmatched talent-wise. They aren't overmatched. But I, I really think Baylor is going to get is going to kick the shooting into high gear this weekend, and if they do... Gonzaga could lose to Baylor if Baylor shoots, I'd say, 45% from the three-point line. And look, they shot 42% on the season, so that's not out of reach. But they have been cold, but they've still been finding ways to win. So I think they are good enough to keep it close without shooting ridiculously. But if they want to win, they gotta they got to shoot the lights out of the ball. All right, so what's your prediction? Who, who wins, Gonzaga or Baylor? I'd say Gonzaga's going to win just because I've seen Baylor every single weekend, I think. They're going to they're gonna figure out how to shoot better this weekend, right? And every single weekend doesn't happen. And, you know, you could say last weekend against Arkansas, they shot a little bit better, but they shot near their average, which I would say, beating Gonzaga, you have to play above your average. So I don't think that Baylor is necessarily playing above their average. And I think even if they do, I think Gonzaga has a level that they can raise to to match that. And I just think overall, Gonzaga, if I had to put a score on it, I'd give it 87-82. Well, I, I agree with you that Gonzaga wins the game, and I hope that your score prediction is right because that will be one heck of a game to cap off this college basketball season with. Let's see how it unfolds, and we will talk about that in our next podcast. Uh, now we're going to move to a completely new topic since uh, this season has not started since we started our podcast, or it wasn't underway, and we're going to talk some Major League Baseball. With the MLB season kicking off on April 1st, uh, we felt it was time to take a look at the contenders to win each of the three divisions in each league. So, Patrick, let's start with your thoughts on the American League divisions and the division winners starting with the AL East. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious. I think you got to go with the Yankees. Uh, you know, last year, I think the Rays ended up with that division win, although actually I'm not even sure if they won the division. Um, but it was a very close race. Uh, look, the Yankees roster in 162 games, and this is what I was going to say about last year, a 60-game sprint is not the 162-game marathon. 
if you go on a 15-game win streak in an 162-game season, you could still end up losing your division. If you do it in a 60-game season, you just won a quarter of the season in one in one stretch. So a big, 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 big difference. Uh, and I just think overall the Yankees roster's too great. It's 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 just too good. <laughs> I don't think they can lose the AL East, uh, I, I, especially on an 162-game season. The depth is there. The pitching is there. The bullpen's there. And also the Rays lost a few people in the offseason because they like to play their little money ball game where they don't spend any money. Uh, they lost Blake Snell and Charlie Morton, who were probably their two most important, you could say, playoff starters, excluding Tyler Glasnow. Uh, that's not good for them. Uh, and the Blue Jays, actually are taking a step forward. They made it into the playoffs last year, barely. Uh, But now they've added Marcus Simeon and George Springer, trying to add a little bit of winning culture, stealing away from the AL West, trying to limit the talent that's uh, fighting them for a wild card spot. And I don't think the Blue Jays end up with that wild card spot, but I do think the I think one of the Rays or the Blue Jays will get, will get one. And I think, but I just think it will be the Rays. Yeah, and, and let's remember last year had an expanded playoff format due to that. Uh, right, with eight teams in in each. Uh, eight teams in and a two in a best of best of three series, as opposed to going back to where we're at this year, which is the two wild card teams play one game, and then they and, the and winner of that game, and that's again that's only five teams from each league in the playoffs. So yeah, Blue Jays you, last year made the playoffs. This year, if this year was the same format, they'd be an easy lock for the playoffs, but. New format, or sorry, not new format. Back to the old format. Not gonna. That that's not gonna. They're not gonna win it. And the Blue Jays also are just like last year. So the same thing as last year, at least for the start of the season. They're not playing in Toronto. Their home games. Yep. They really yep. even don't even know where they're. And they don't be. have George Springer for the start too. Yeah. Although and, they did start out with an opening day win over the Yankees in extra innings in New York. So they'll uh, take that victory. <laughs> yeah, but the Blue Jays are a team without a home. They're like they've announced their first three home stands are in Florida, and then they're gonna figure it out from there. Very strange. All right, well, let's move on to the AL Central. What are your thoughts there? Uh, I think this is the closest division race uh, that's very top-heavy, excluding the uh, NL West, which we'll get to later. Uh, I think the Chicago White Sox will pull it out. I was a huge backer of the uh, supporter of the White Sox last year, not not necessarily fan-wise, but I thought that that up-and-coming roster was going to be able to get into the playoffs and win their division. They did not win the division, but they did make it into the playoffs, and they they frankly should have won their first uh, their first round, but they did not. Uh, th- this team is re- the White Sox are really good, and when you take a young team that just made the playoffs and barely lost in the first round to another good team, and then they get, they all get a year earlier, and you're re- or, or <laughs> a year earlier, a year older, <laughs> and you're getting more experience for them, and you add some more pieces. Uh, you added Liam Hendricks. From the A's, again, everybody just taking from other rosters in the AL. It seems like they're trying to weaken the other teams. Um, uh, it's a big pickup, and look, Jose Abreu still won AL MVP last year. They, this is a really good team that the White Sox have. Uh, and the Twins, kind of kind of in a similar place. Uh, I think they get the wild card spot. I think they're good enough to beat out the Blue Jays and the A's, and maybe even the Rays for the fourth spot. I don't know who would win that wild card game. It would be pretty much a toss-up, just like any one-game series is in any sport. Um but I do think the White Sox come away with the division, and I think the Twins come in second. Although this is the race to watch, I would say, uh, in the league because, well, again, we'll get to it later. But in the NL West, we just know that both those teams are going to be in it in the end. But I think the I think the Twins or the Sox could have a legitimate chance of missing the playoffs if they didn't win the division. 
just because their division is good enough to take games off of each other. But same thing flies for the AL East, too. So overall, I got the White Sox and the Twins in. All right, with the White Sox winning that division. Yep. And then the American League West, uh, who do you have? I hate to say it, but I do have the Astros. Look, this team this team last year was uh, under 500, should not have come close to the playoffs. But, but, in the end, they almost actually made it to the World Series. Uh, they had a, a ridiculous comeback down 3-0 to the, to the Rays in their series to to force a game seven uh, only for the Rays to win and then eventually Without Justin Verlander they did this yep and eventually lost to the Dodgers in the World Series obviously but I will say I, I, I still like what the Astros have they don't have George Springer anymore but they already were using that young core in the outfield and they didn't have Jordan Alvarez last year so pretend like this year or I mean look if you look at it they're at a net positive I would say with Without Springer, but with Jordan Alvarez and Justin Verlander, and also their bullpen. I think I think you might remember this at the beginning of the year. They were playing a series, and they mentioned that of their healthy bullpen at that time, none of them had a single major league appearance. And now this year, they've all gone through play, gone through a deep playoff run. Uh, Framber Valdez looks like an emerging Cy Young. Uh, we actually, I remember watching a Dodgers game, joke that we made him look like Cy Young even though he was just a rookie, and look, he might actually be so young. Uh, look, their, their rotation somehow got younger, even with Verlander and Granke coming back. And look, Verlander and Granke, they're always going to be there in the mainstays. They're going to figure it out. Uh, the Astros are still good enough, and I, as I said, the A's lost Marcus Simeon. They lost their closer, Liam Hendricks. I think they lost just a little bit too much to be able to keep up with the Astros. I think if they kept those pieces, I would say they're still in the... Uh, they, they are still the favorites, but... I'm going to give the edge to the Astros, and I'm going to say that those losses push the A's under the Twins and the Rays, and they will miss the playoffs this year. All right, well, let's move over to the National League and start with the NL East. What are your thoughts on that division? This division is the third most interesting, I would say, behind the AL Central and the NL West. Uh, The Braves and the Mets will be in a dogfight all year uh, to win this division, although I will say this is probably the best division in baseball overall. I believe that every team in it, I had at least better than 21st in my power rankings. Uh, Even the last place Marlins were, I think, the 21st team. Uh, So this division's just stacked from top to bottom. But I think at the top, the Braves Braves and the Mets are are clearly above the rest. The Mets barely ended ended up under the uh, Nationals, Phillies, and Marlins last year. Now they added Francisco Lindor. Uh, They get, I'm pretty sure they get Syndergaard back from his injury at some point this year. The Mets are really insane. They added a lot to their roster as soon as they changed their ownership, and they really went super, super, super aggressive. But it is a really good roster that they ended up uh, putting together. Also got Marcus Stroman. Uh, This roster is going to compete. They might edge out the Braves for the division, although I will say I think the Braves will win the division. I think the Mets will fall shortly behind but easily lock up a wild card spot. And the Nationals have a chance... But I'd say when you're playing these many games against the Braves and the Mets, and you consider the team the team in the division we're going to get the two last, the Padres, when when you got to take a wild card spot off of either the Mets roster or the Padres roster, it's probably not going to happen. All right. Well, uh, definitely well stocked pitching staff, starting pitching staffs there in the end. Oh yeah. The Braves. <laughs> And the Mets, very interesting. It could come and down, the Nationals. Yeah, it could come down to what, which of those teams survives the season without an injury. Yeah. Or how other players who were injured last year come off of injury. So, yeah. 
Uh, let's move over to the NL Central. What are your thoughts on this division? Yeah, this division has great depth, although there is no real clear top team. I would say the Cardinals, Cubs, and Brewers are not only in a stack within this division, but I think they're within a, a, a little bit of a group there at somewhere in between the 10 and 15 range in the league as in terms of the best teams uh, just in, in the whole league. So they're very, very evenly matched. They're very close to each other. A few different strengths, depending on which team you talk about, but I think the Cardinals edition of Nolan Arenado just puts them above the rest by a little bit. Again, this was a very close divisional race last year. All uh, all three of those teams, that uh, the Cubs, Cardinals, and Brewers, did make the playoffs last year, and the Reds did too. The Reds lost too much. The playoffs shrinked by too much. The Reds aren't close anymore. Uh, but I do think that you won't see any team from this division in the wild card. I think the winner of this division wins at about 93 or 95, somewhere in that range, uh, that amount of wins. And then the losers go home at 90 wins and 87, something like that. And they're still not in the wild card because the rest of the National League just has too many good teams in it. All right, well, let's wrap things up with a look at another division with a couple very good teams in it, the NL West. Yeah, this is the division that I think the World Series champion will come out of, honestly. Uh, if it comes from the NL, I think it comes from here. Uh, the Dodgers, I, look, I'm not picking the Padres to win the division over the Dodgers, not only because I'm a Dodgers fan, but also because, come on, this roster is just too good. Uh, they won the World Series, and then they added Trevor Bauer, the Cy Young winner. They added David Price back because he was a COVID opt-out last season. And they have momentum from some of their... I mean, Julio Urias didn't even pitch as a starter throughout most of the regular season and then came into the playoffs and frankly could have won World Series MVP. You have Corey Seager coming off of the, I would say, maybe three or four years of kind of injury-riddled uh, seasons, and now he looks like he's going to be healthier than ever. He he had surgery that really, they, that they say, changed everything because he had hip surgery, and they say that all his other injuries stemmed from his hip injury. And look, now he's an MVP candidate. Oh, and by the way, uh, Cody Bellinger also won the MVP a year before that. And also, uh, yeah, Mookie Betts also won the MVP a year before that. So not only do you have four MVPs on this roster when you also talk about, or three MVPs when you when you talk about this roster, if you also include Clayton Kershaw, but the pitching staff is insane. Uh, the bullpen is really good, too. It's still a solid, the same solid guys, uh, Kenley Jansen. You still have Bruce Dargratterall, by the way. Sorry about that trade uh, to... Boston, uh, you probably should have taken Brewstar. Uh, but look, the, the Dodgers are just too good. I don't think there is a way that they lose the division. Although if they do, I don't think it matters. I think they still win the World Series anyway. And if they do lose the division, I think they're losing to the third best team in the in the league. And I think that's the San Diego Padres. This team is a lock to win the wild card. Look, whoever loses this division easily gets the wild card spot. I don't know if it's ever been a thing that there have been two 100-win teams in a division before, but if it's never been done, it might happen this year. Uh, the maybe Padres, Yankees and Red Sox back in a few years ago. Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe. 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 Um, the, I just think these teams are just so good. The Padres almost, I mean, eh, not really almost beat the Dodgers, but they took a game off of them, which is, I mean, look, honestly, they looked closer to the Dodgers than the Rays did, who ended up in the World Series, I would say. Uh, yeah, the Rays had that one fluke win. One fluke win, and then also lost in six game. games on a on a best of seven compared to losing in, in four on a best of five that literally pretty much was won by Cody Bellinger robbing a Fernando Tatis home, two-run home run. Uh, yeah, I would say the Padres are closer because 
Uh, Cody Bellinger's not going to rob every single home run that comes their way. So, uh, yeah, the Padres are closer, and also they made some offseason trades that boosted their roster. I think exchanging Zach Davies for you, Darvish, and also getting Blake Snell from the Rays in return for, I forget who they traded for him, to be quite honest, but the overall, they just did a great job improving their roster again, and they locked up Tatis, so there's not going to be any issues ego-wise or anything there. I, I think totally this team is put together to build a championship, but they have a big, 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 big opponent, not only in the National League, but in their division, and I think, I do think the Dodgers win the division, as I've said, but I think the Padres easily, easily lock up the number one wild card. And I wish that Padres-Mets would be a series instead of a one-game playoff if it gets to be the wild-card series because these teams are more deserving than a one-and-done postseason. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. The Padres and the Dodgers, um, they would have been World Series contenders without the offseason moves they made. Yep. And it just seemed like they were in an arm, a literal arms race with each other in terms of what they did to, to uh, bolster their pitching staffs. All right, so we've heard about uh, your thoughts on the division winners, and you've kind of given us a little bit of a foreshadowing of who you think is going to win the World Series, who's, who's going to be in it. But let's just uh, let's lock you down there. Who are your predictions to be in the World Series? I think it's the Dodgers and the Yankees. And I think, look, I, I, I'm going to be honest. If there was, if I could make a combo team and just say the NL West winner versus the Yankees, that's what I would say. Uh, if the Dodgers are going to lose to anybody, they're going to lose to the Padres. Uh, they have a history. I mean, if you look at it last year, even even up three to one, the Dodgers just somehow cannot. They're immune to losing to the Braves in the postseason. Um, so I think that's the other contender outside of the Padres there. And I just don't see a way that the Dodgers lose to the Braves. I think the Braves probably stayed about even with their roster last year, and the Dodgers got a lot better. So when you consider it that way, I think the Dodgers easily beat the Braves. Although I think their toughest series again is going to be the NLDS, because the per, the team in the wild card will be better than most likely, I would say, uh, the team that they play in the next round, especially if it ends up being the Padres, because, again, if these two teams end up with maybe two out of the three or the two best records in the MLB, one of them still has to play in a wild card game, and then, by the way, the way the seeding works, the number one overall seed does play the wild card winner, so the Dodgers or the Padres, whoever wins the division, will play the other one. Uh... I, I'd say whoever wins that series or, frankly, just wins the World Series. But I'd say if I'm going to pick somebody to win that series, it's the Dodgers, and I think they beat the Yankees. I, I don't know about six or seven games. I think it's I think it's one of those two, but I think I'll lean towards seven. So It's interesting the point you make about uh, assuming that the, the, the two best teams or at least the division winner in the West is going to be the number one seed, and they would likely face the winners of the wild card game, which is likely the Padres, so it could be it could just be Dodgers Padres for who doesn't have to throw their number one pitcher in one game in, in terms of facing each other in right. the first round. Right. And it's interesting. I think the Dodgers hold the advantage either way, um, I, because the Dodgers frankly have at least three number one starting pitchers um, with Bauer and Kershaw. Mm, maybe Kershaw's not a number one. But I would say ba four or five, maybe. Uh, but they're they have Bauer and they have Bueller who are as good as anybody that the Padres would throw. That's they true. They burn one of those guys. And they're Kershaw is still better than you, Darvish. And I think you, Darvish, by the way, was on the Dodgers roster. And yeah. you look at you, Darvish, and Blake Snell's postseason records. And I do believe in the history of there are some players that just play better in the postseason. I wouldn't say Clayton Kershaw is one of those if you look at his overall career, but it looks like he turned the corner last year, yeah. uh, stopped getting unlucky, stopped having some bad defensive plays because he finally has probably the best defender in all of the league, Mookie Betts, behind him. 
And also, I would say Walker Bueller in the playoffs is is just a gamer. And also, Trevor Bauer, nobody talks about it, but Trevor Bauer almost had the Reds beat the Braves in their series, but it just didn't work out because they could not manufacture a run for 14 innings. He shut the Braves down for eight of them, who the Dodgers, frankly, all of their pitchers had some trouble yeah. locking down. He shut them down, but he, he had no hitting behind him. And this year, actually, as we saw tonight, actually, Bauer carried a no-hitter into the seventh inning in Colorado in, in his first game with the Dodgers, and the Dodgers were already up 10 nothing. So he won't have that issue with the Dodgers of getting run support, and I think that'll also push them over. I think the Dodgers also just have a culture and an experience and the experience that San Diego just doesn't quite have yet, I think San Diego will get better and closer to the Dodgers every year, no matter how many moves the Dodgers make, just from being more experienced and having more of a culture. But I think this year, still the gap's too wide. Dodgers win. So I, I agree with you. My point was, I think the Padres could win the regular season. Maybe more motivated. Dodgers a little. Who knows? You know, It's hard to win so many years in a row. And yet the Dodgers still make it to the World Series, even with the wild card, because they can burn a number one starter, and they can line up, frankly, six guys to start after burning a number one starter with, with the depth. So, I also think one of the things that people may think about is uh, the MLB discussed last year maybe allowing people with such a big playoff format to pick their opponents in the first round. I think they might need to look into that with the way that the balance of the league is, especially for the next few years. I think both the Dodgers and the Padres would definitely agree to that. Um, (laughs) Because I I, I think that the Dodgers would much rather play whoever comes out of the NL Central, or even out of the NL East, maybe, probably the NL Central, though, than play the Padres. And same thing, vice versa. And also, why not have teams pick teams? Maybe they don't want to. Maybe the Dodgers didn't want to play the Nationals when they ended up winning the World Series, because... The pitching, it was the one pitching staff in the league yeah. that was good enough to beat the Dodgers, and that's exactly what it did. I, I think they could change that rule also because the playoffs are just so small that there's not really much of a difference between 1, 2, 3, and 4 anyway. And look, maybe the Dodgers try to win 101 games and let the Braves win 102 just so that they can edge out the Padres <laughs> for the division and a not new, play them. Interesting, and maybe a new take on tanking this year. Yeah, semi-tanking, just like uh, if you were... You go full out for half the season and figure out where you are and then kind of just ease down to the two seed. We're going to shoot for the two seed. That's an interesting thought. Well, the the beautiful thing is baseball is back with fans in the stands. And the beautiful thing, it's a very long season. And we will have many, many more conversations about the MLB throughout the course of our podcast in the coming months as college basketball wraps up. And so do some of the other other and the sports. NBA moves towards the playoffs, the and then the playoffs, a little then... bit less to talk about in terms of disappointing and uh, exciting teams. Yeah, well, we'll come up with something else to replace it. But uh, for now, that's going to wrap up our discussion of Major League Baseball. It's also going to wrap up this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please join us for our next podcast, which will be on Monday, April 5th, where we will do those most disappointing and most impressive NBA teams in our weekly recap of the latest NBA action. Uh, we'll also discuss the NCAA championship game and see the accuracy of Patrick week- Patrick's weekend predictions. In the meantime, be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his all-new NBA power rankings and his MLB, brand-new MLB power rankings that he just launched for the first time this week on our website at 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.